Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. Let's just let the Spirit of the Lord touch our hearts. Are you ready to hear from the Word of God today? Amen. And so I'm, I'm not going to take a formal text so you can remain seated. But I want to speak today from the, from the subject. My title is going to be, What Will We Do? What will we do? That may not make a lot of sense right now, but if the Lord will help us and we make this journey, hopefully we can bring that thought to fruition. When we look into the book of Nehemiah, I will, I will say that the book of Nehemiah is probably one of my favorite books to read. It is just a very intriguing story. Um, it just seems like no matter how many times you read it, no matter how many times you've heard the story, that there's always just something new. There's always something new there for me. And so uh, I, I hope today to just share a few things with you. If you have considered this before, I trust that somewhere along the way, God will just uh, turn over a rock and there will be something new there for us. In the opening chapters of the book of Nehemiah, we see this man of God, called of God, with a specific purpose, and that purpose was to be, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And under his gifted leadership and his obedience to the Lord, he and the people did, in fact, complete this project. And so we have chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and we understand somewhat of the peril, the pain, and the frustration of his antagonistic enemies that were trying to dissuade him from the purpose of what God had called him to do. In chapter 6, all that seems to remain was the walls were up, and now there needed to be the restoration of the gates. And I think in addition to that, after all that the people had been through, those that would occupy this, uh, he was going to have to not just strengthen the walls and strengthen the gates, but I think he would additionally have to strengthen the hearts of the people. Now, uh, his nemesis was a man by the name of Sam Ballot, and of course Sam Ballot had other men with him, but Sam Ballot and his man and his men had failed. They had utterly failed in their attempt to stop the people from working. And so they 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 had tried many times through mockery and and intimidation to get them to stop. But they could not stop them and the wall is now complete. And so now they are changing their tactic. And they all they are going to go after Nehemiah himself. Their plan was sinister at best if they could just discredit him, if they could take away the foundation of the leader, then they would be able to infiltrate and take over the city. I don't want my next comments to be taken out of context, but I do believe there is a universal truth here, that the average person has no idea the tremendous pressure that is associated with leadership. And so if you have ever been in charge of something or if you have ever owned your own company or been a supervisor or in uh, any role of leadership on your job or wherever it may be, 
the average people around you have no idea the pressure that you face just mandated by that job. And people, people are, are often polarized uh, just by nature. They, if a leader doesn't act quickly, or if they do act quickly, then, then people think they're just reckless and given the knee-jerk reactions. Or if a leader doesn't act quickly enough, then they are deemed as a coward and, and indecisive. And I can tell you that in the arena of public opinion, this is a very, very difficult game to win. And so when we think about that just in general terms of leadership, that's in one category. But when you also consider people that are in places of spiritual leadership, not only do they have the pressures that come along with things that all leaders would face, but there is also a spiritual enemy at work as well. And so I am not saying that to seek sympathy, but, I, but if I could cultivate your prayer, I would be satisfied with that because there is a dual nature that is at work here. And so that's why it is so very and vitally important for us to pray for our leaders, not only those that are in civil authority, but we should pray for those in spiritual authority as well. The Bible says in the book of Nehemiah chapter 6 that the enemy's purpose was now to try to generate fear in the heart of Nehemiah and those that had dedicated themselves to the work on the wall. Because they understood this, that fear, true fear, has a very paralyzing nature. And if you have ever been truly fearful, then you understand that fear truly does have a paralyzing effect on our lives. But Nehemiah didn't listen to the enemy's lies. He wasn't going to buy into that. And so he and his people continued to work against all odds. And the Bible says that in the span of only 52 days that they had completed this task. Now, no one could have ever anticipated this tremendous work being completed, but certainly not being completed in that small time frame. The attacks of the enemy in that day were certainly no different than the attacks of the enemy in this day. In light of everything that we have faced in the last several weeks, I think we can safely say that we are sailing in uncharted waters. In many ways, we have been in many ways, we have been. However, the things that Nehemiah faced are things that we have got to guard against ourselves. And we can read this ancient book and we can think that the circumstances and the situations found within these blessed pages are all somehow locked up in time and would no longer be relevant for us today. But nothing can be further from the truth because what we find in Genesis we find in this very day. What we find in Ephesians, we find in this very day. What we find in Revelation, we find in this very day. I mean, for instance, one of the things that Nehemiah was faced with was a spirit of compromise. If there has ever been an hour where we face compromise, it is the day in which we're living. When you begin reading this book, it isn't long before you see that Nehemiah had some real enemies working against him. Not just people that were troublesome, not just people that were problematic, but Nehemiah had some real, genuine, legitimate enemies. These men did everything within their power to frustrate the work that Nehemiah had been sent by God to do. Then we get to chapter 6. And all of a sudden, it seems the complexion of this attack has altogether changed. Prior to chapter 6, these men are doing everything they can to literally stop the work of 
building the wall. And they're trying to get them to come down off the wall. It was at this point that Nehemiah said to his workers, you need to have a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand because we are fighting against all odds, but we're going to build this wall. At one point, they mocked him and said, well, if a fox were to walk across this wall, it would all fall down. And so they were trying to just mock and mimic everything. But now the complexion of all of this seems to change. A moment ago, it seems like they're just doing everything within their power to stop the work. But when they realized they couldn't stop the work, now they're going to try to get into the mind and the heart of Nehemiah. Now these same men that were mocking and these same men that were threatening, these same men that said this can't happen are now offering to help. As a matter of fact, they offered to meet Nehemiah so they could make plans on how they could work together. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 2 that the plan was this that they presented. Let us meet together in the plain of Ono. Let us meet together in this common place and we'll come together. And we all have this thing in common. Yet somehow Nehemiah, through the spirit of discernment, knew that they thought to do him mischief. That's what the scripture says. They, he knew they were up to no good. And you know what? Many times, even in the day in which we live, the enemy's strategy is this. If you can't beat them, join them. And then if you join them, somehow you can infiltrate within, from within. And I will tell you that nothing could be further, uh, nothing could be closer to the truth, should I say. Amen. That when the enemy gets a foothold into the church. He starts to weaken things within. I've said it before. I'll say it again that they could build whatever they wanted to build right next door to this church and we could still have church. And so our problem is not sin out there, but our problem would be sin in here. Amen. It would weaken the things from within and ultimately cause God's work to fail. So while cooperation in the words in the work of the Lord, I believe, is a noble thing, I also understand that leaders have got to be careful that we cooperate with the right people and for the right purpose. Otherwise, we might be allying ourselves with an enemy. I, I do believe with all of my heart that that compromise, healthy compromise, can be a wonderful thing. We all have to make adjustments along the way. If, you've been in, if you are in any kind of relationship whatsoever with a companion or a friend or children, it doesn't matter, on your job, there is some measure of healthy compromise that is necessary in order to keep everything on the rails and keep everything moving forward. Amen. But we have got to understand one thing. When you invite the devil to the game, he will change the rules. When you invite him to the game, you're not going to be playing by your rule book but out of his and so Nehemiah wisely rejected their offer. We're not going to compromise here. We're going to stay focused, and we're going to do what God has called us to do. One thing Nehemiah understood was the fact that the enemy wasn't telling the truth. It was that spirit of discernment that we all ought to pray for. God, help me to discern what is right and wrong. I mean, there was just something about the offer that didn't ring true, something about this that's just a little out of kilter. He knew that God was that he was working on something that God had entrusted him with. He understood the magnitude of what God had called him to do. As a matter of fact, that's why he could say in verse number 3 of chapter 6, the work that I'm doing is great. He said, I am doing a great work. And so if Nehemiah had allowed himself for just a moment to get distracted, 
from what God had called him to do, then where would the people turn for leadership? If he had allowed himself to follow after the path of the enemy, then where would those that were following him going to find themselves? Because I will tell you that a project without a leader is a project that has no end, no hope of an end goal. A leaderless project is going to be an aimless project. It won't be long before it all falls apart at the seams. Someone has to lead this charge. As a matter of fact, one thing that one more thing that Nehemiah understood was he understood I have nothing in common with the enemy. I would ask you today to ask yourself and I will examine my own heart and ask us those piercing words we find in scripture, how can bitter water and sweet water come out of the same well? When the Bible talks about being unequally yoked, he's not just speaking about in, in the marital relationships, but we can't be unequally yoked in any aspect of our life because kind words and evil words can't, can't come out of the same mouth. And so Nehemiah understood, I have nothing in common with the enemy. He is the enemy. Nehemiah made it very clear from the beginning he said to those that were trying to get him to join their camp or for them to join his camp, Nehemiah said, you have no portion, you have no right, you have no memorial in Jerusalem. You have no vested interest in what we are doing here. And I will tell you today that the children of God must never forget that we are the people of God. And as the people of God, we are not like the people in the world. Amen. Man, we are not like those that are just walking down the street. I'm not saying that we are better than, but for the grace of God, there go I. But I will tell you that the spirit of the Lord and his word draws lines of distinction in the sand. And we must not allow the winds of time, nor the circumstances of time to erode those lines. Amen. We must maintain a line of differentiation. If Nehemiah had cooperated with the enemy, then I would ask you this, how is he somehow in the future? How is he going to teach those that are following him? You can't cooperate with the enemy. I will tell you today that some people have the idea, don't do as I do, just do as I say. But that's not going to hold any water. Amen. We have to understand that Nehemiah wasn't just there to declare the word, but he was there to live the word. He wasn't there to just declare separation, but he was there to be separate. And so he refused to be influenced by their repeated offers. Their offer was wrong the first time. And if their offer was wrong the first time, then it was wrong the next time and the next time and the next time and the next time. Amen. It's not wrong. It's not going to right itself. The devil is not in the business of doing what's right. And so Nehemiah understood, I got to stay strong and I got to stay the course. The next thing that Nehemiah had to face was the willing away or the defaming of his name and his character. When we read in Nehemiah 6, 5 through 9, here's the takeaway. They threatened, we're going to tell everybody what you're up to. We're going to tell everybody. We're going to make up our own story. I'll cover that in just a moment. This was the fifth time when you get to verses 5 through 9. This was the fifth time that the enemy had approached Nehemiah. According to the scripture, the, Mary, the, the, the courier of this message came with an open letter 
an open letter of treason. Now we need to understand that treason has never been a small matter, but it was certainly not a small matter in the days of Nehemiah. It would have been considered a serious charge, and the Persian kings would not, re not tolerate one moment of treason. Any hint of rebellion is going to be immediately dealt with. It's interesting to see how often the enemy used these letters to attack again and again the work of God. Now I'll just bear this to your uh, bear this out today for your consideration that that any letter that we get uh, via our U.S. Postal Service, uh, whether really it's an important letter or not, but every letter we get is sealed, and so sometimes we get an an open letter in the mail. Maybe it's come open. Doesn't that just raise an, a little moment of suspicion? You wonder what happened. Who's been in the stuff? And so it's it's sealed on purpose. And so Sam Ballot is sending a letter. The letters weren't in formal envelopes like our mail would travel today. They were rolled up, and they would be sealed with some sort of wax. And then the the signet of the king's ring would be pressed into that wax. And and it was a sealed letter, understanding that that the person that is sending this. And the courier is going to have to keep this in great confidence until it gets to the recipient on the other end. But you see, Sanballat, the man that was sending the letter, he wanted the public to know the content of the letter. And so he left the letter open. It's an open letter. He meant it was a letter about treason. It was a letter filled with lies. It was a letter to attack the, the integrity and the name of Nehemiah. He hoped to somehow undermine the reputation and thereby underline, undermine the authority of Nehemiah. It was an opportunity for the enemy to divide and conquer. Not only did his enemy falsely accused Nehemiah of stirring rebellion, but in verse number 7, they just told an out-and-out out lie. In verse number 7, they said that Nehemiah is doing all this because he's going to set up his own kingdom. He's just going to do his own thing. He's going to be in charge, and all of these people are going to be his servants. I will tell you again that if this report had gotten back to the Persian king, there would have been immediate ramifications, and just like that, it would the, the Jerusalem project would have come to an ultimate end. But once again, once again, Nehemiah is staying focused. Once again, Nehemiah has got his mind made up. He didn't get caught up in the task of trying to defend his every move. Let me pause here long enough to ask you this. Have you ever been in one of those positions when you were accused of something great or small? And it was just one of those moments that if you say something, you're going to look guilty. Yes. And if you don't say something, you're going to look guilty. We've all had to make those decisions, what we're going to do. And Nehemiah said, I'm going to stay focused on the main thing. I'm going to keep myself focused on the main thing. And he didn't get caught up in trying to defend his every move and every decision. He just simply denied the reports. He prayed to God for, for strength. And Nehemiah got up and went back to work. Amen. Let me suggest that that's a good way to handle that. Amen. Just deny what's wrong, ask God for strength, and get up and go about our business. Amen. Nehemiah could do that because he knew that he had lived a life above reproach. 
Amen. I'm going to tell you, he understood that there's not an honest man that's going to believe this report, and I'm going to live my life above reproach. And I will tell you today that if we want to do what's right, we're going to have to live our life above reproach. And when those stories come along, there's going to be people around that say, you know what? There's nothing we can hinge this to. There's not a nail we can hang this on. Amen. If we take care of our character, then God will obligate himself to take care of our reputation. Can I say that again? If we will tend to our character, God will obligate himself to take care of our reputation. In the prayer of Jabez, I love the prayer of Jabez. In the prayer of Jabez, there are four basic requests. Number one, Jabez says, I want you to bless me. And then secondly, he says, I want you to enlarge my coast or enlarge my border. And then Jabez says, I want you to be with me. And then fourthly, Jabez says, I want you to preserve me or keep me from evil. It's that second part that I want to talk to you about today. When he says, enlarge my coast or enlarge my border. Jabez is not asking God to give him more property. He's not asking him to give him more land. But this means enlarge my influence. And so I will tell you, I've probably shared this publicly before, but when I pray this portion of this prayer, I don't just say, hey, Lord, enlarge my border. Or, hey, Lord, enlarge my coastline. But I pray, and I say, Lord, enlarge my influence, enlarge my border. But I pray, Lord, that you'll let my character and my integrity grow at the same pace. Because the last thing a person needs is influence influence without character. Amen. The last, the most dangerous thing a person can have is influence and not character to match that influence. And so I say, Lord, I pray today that you would help me to increase my input. Help me to increase my influence. But oh Lord, touch my character. Touch my integrity and let it grow at the same time. Otherwise, otherwise people that have uh, have influence and don't have character, they're going to run a ground, but you hear me, they won't run aground alone. They're going to go down, but when the mighty tree falls, it takes out not just the mighty tree, but it takes out all the tender trees around it. And so I say, Lord, touch us and anoint us and keep us. Help us to expand our footprint, but Lord, don't let us do that at the risk of our, repu- of our character not being able to keep the pace. Amen. The third thing that Nehemiah faced in this was threats. In Nehemiah 16 through 14, a man by the name of Shemaiah, who was uh, a so-called prophet, but I will just tell you straight up, he was a hireling. He was a prophet, a man of God that could be bought and sold on the daily market. He devised a clever plan to trap Nehemiah. Amen. He shut himself up in his house and he gave the impression to Nehemiah that something was wrong. And so when Nehemiah came to see him, Shemaiah suggested that they both take refuge in the temple. Just come here and you stay with me. He said, you come in here and the enemy can't reach you. Amen. And now the words of Nehemiah 6 and 10, you don't, you don't need a commentary. Amen. He was saying to Nehemiah, if you don't come in here and be with me and take refuge with me, they are coming to kill you. And at night, they are going to come and take your life. Amen. They failed to realize 
that this was not the kind of leader that Nehemiah was. He didn't just take his orders from anywhere. In verse number 11, Nehemiah looked at this man who was saying, come. Now, Nehemiah knew he was the enemy, and the enemy is saying, come here, and I'll protect you. Come into my house, and I'll take care of you. But Nehemiah looked at him and said, should, should such a man as I flee? I'm not a running man. I'm not the kind of man to turn and run. Amen. Now, earlier in the story, Nehemiah, when he was working on the wall, and they were trying to get him to come down off the wall, he looked at them and said, I cannot come down because the work is too great. When we get to chapter 6, he's saying, come in. First they were saying, come down. Now they're saying, come in. Amen. But when he said, I will not come down, the same man said, and I will not go in. I'm going to stay focused on what God has given me to do. I'm going to stay my mind. I'm going to stay the course. Amen. Nehemiah was outnumbered, but he stood his ground. Nehemiah was on the losing side of things according to the calculations of man, but God was on his side. Amen. Nehemiah said, amen, a resounding message, we will not give up. We will not give up. Now, you have to understand that for these walls to be completed, against all the odds and against all the adversity they had faced, was a total embarrassment to the enemy because they had not been able to threaten, intimidate. They had not been able to stop. And so now that the walls are up, we would think, well, we're in smooth water and everything's all right. But there's a lesson here if we'll pay close attention because many careless people have won the battle, but they have lost the war. And that's why we must watch and pray. And this was certainly one of Nehemiah's main admonitions. Sometimes it is not the churning water that takes our life, but it's the still water where we can relax. Everything's all right, and it's after the storm. I've watched people through the years go through storms that I thought would take them out completely. Somehow they stood the test of time, but it was on the other side of the storm that their life began to fall apart because, you see, just because the walls were up didn't mean that the devil was through. It's, it seems incredible that, that anyone would secretly cooperate with the enemy, let alone those nobles from the tribe of Judah. Because if anyone had a stake in the future of the city of David, it was certainly the tribe of Judah. God had promised that a savior and a king would come from this tribe. But when these nobles cooperated with Tobiah, they were resisting the Lord, disobeying his word, and they were certainly jeopardizing not only their future, but the future of their seed. Amen. From our vantage point, you know, we can't just imagine why anybody would do something like that. Instead of seeking for the truth, they just believed the enemy's lies and became traitors of their own people. They just believed whatever they heard. Some of the men of Judah even took a loath, an oath of loyalty to Tobiah. I mean, they made an allegiance with the enemy. In Judges chapter 2, when they were coming into the promised land, one of the first admonitions of the Lord was, Make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Don't you build any altars and don't bow down to their gods. And now here we have people that are making allegiances with the enemy, and they were jeopardizing their own future in doing so. Amen. In his letters, Tobiah no doubt had flattered them and maybe made promises and somehow they foolishly bought into all of this. 
And here's the moral of the story. You just can't believe everything you read or everything you hear. I, like many of you, have read things. Certainly in our day of being online, you can, all, you can read anything. I've read things and been completely shocked and taken. And, and before that check valve went off in my heart, you just have bought it hook, line, and sinker. But I'm thankful for other websites that you can go to and kind of fact check and figure out. And you know, some of that is absolutely nothing but just sinister actions of people. And so sometimes it would do us well to not just believe everything that comes down the pike and not believe everything you read. Matter of fact, I struggle sometimes believing things I see. <laughs> and so I'm going to bring this to a close. And, and the, the, the question that, that begs an answer, perhaps more than one question, is how could these people forsake their own heritage? How could they walk away from things they have been warming their hand and their heart over for generations? How could they walk away from that? How could they neglect their own brothers and their own sisters? How could they leave others to do the work while they themselves have bought into the enemy's camp? Oh, how easily it can happen. Simon Peter, who was so devoted to the work of God, he said, I'll, I'll not deny you. No, you count on me. I'll be there all the way to the end. And Jesus said, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked how soon. Three times he denied him. And I'll ask you where he was when he denied him. He was warming his hands over the wrong fire. That's where he was. He was hanging around with the wrong crowd, hearing the wrong voices. And after a while, it wasn't easy or wasn't difficult at all to deny that he knew the Lord. And so how can this happen? The, the answer is pretty simple. Because in this case, it was the bond of a human connection that became stronger than the bond of a spiritual affection. Now, I mean that in the most literal sense because Tobiah, the man who was this antagonistic voice, was tied into the tribe of Judah through marriage. And the nobles of Judah were giving loyalty to him that they should have given to God. Because now this has boiled down, are you hearing me? To a family thing. I said I was closing, but I'm not done. It boiled down to a family thing. The men of Judah forgot that they were married to Jehovah and they owed him all of their love and all of their loyalty but before we criticize them we should examine our own heart and I will tell you that through the years of pastoral ministry I've seen more than one person get out of sorts and separate themselves from what God was trying to do in their life over the influence of a relative amen you ever heard the saying blood is thicker than water well, let me tell you something. I've seen the blood thicker than the Holy Ghost. And that's a sad thing. Because we need to obey God and not man. Amen. Here's what Jesus said. This is pretty tough. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me 
is not worthy of me. So this can't be about a blood thing. I'll tell you what, I grew up hearing a song and singing a song, and some of you can relate to this. An old song that says, if my mama don't go, it won't hinder me. If my daddy don't go, it won't hinder me. If my sister don't go, it won't hinder me. If my brother don't go, that's not being crass and cold and cavalier and indifferent. But what it's about is when the line is drawn in the sand, I got to know where to cast my lot. Amen. I got to know where to cast. I got to know where to throw it in. I got to know where to draw the line and say, amen, like Joseph of old, as for me and my house, amen, as Joshua of old, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. We made up our mind a long time ago. We're going to serve the Lord. Amen. I'm going to put my, amen. The song says, I'm going to cast my lot with the chosen few. Amen. That's where I'm going to cast my lot. Amen. Had the nobles of Judah been meditating on the word of God, then they too, like Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah was not Superman. Nehemiah was just God's man. And had the nobles of Judah been meditating on the word of God, they would have known and been able to discern the same ungodly counsel that Nehemiah had known. And don't think that it can't happen to us. They were blinded by lies and completely out of touch with reality. But the situation is really not much different in churches today. And I don't mean to sound out of the way, but I am shocked more over and over at how people who claim to be students of the Bible can just follow after religious hustlers of our day. I'm just, I am mortified by that. Mortified by that. I'm going to, to end with a passage of Scripture that I hope will lodge in your heart as it has lodged in mine through the years. Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of the Lord, In chapter 5, in verses 30 and 31, Jeremiah says this. He says, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies, and the priests rule by their own authority. Now listen. And the Lord said, and my people love it this way. Let that sink in. The prophets prophesy lies. And the priests just rule and govern by whatever they want to do. And my people love it this way. And then Jeremiah asked the question, which is the title of my message today. He said, but what will you do in the end? And that is the question today. What will we do? In the face of adversity... In the face of discouraging times, in the face of voices that are trying to get us to compromise, in the faces of voices that are trying perhaps at times to, to, to come against our character, in the faces of voices that are trying to intimidate and silence the voice of the church, what will we do? I hope that we'll all take the position of Nehemiah. He ignored the distractions and kept on working until the job was completed. Amen. Nehemiah 6 and 16 says this, that the work was wrought of God. What we're doing is not for man, but we're doing this for God. Nehemiah understood this is far more than brick and mortar. This is not just about stones and walls and gates and hinges. No. 
No, no, no. This is a powerful thing we're doing for God. So can I tell you today that we're not just, as a church, this is not just a social center. This is not just a place to bury our elderly and marry our young. This is not just a place to hang out. But this is a place where the will of God should be carried out to its fullest. The Bible says through the voice of Paul in Philippians that God is not going to start a work and then not complete it. Oh, amen. He's that kind of God. He's that kind of God. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand today. If we could summarize the story to now, here's what we would find. We would find Nehemiah, when this all began, he says, so I prayed. I prayed and God gave him direction. And God gave him not only his hand upon him, but God gave him favor with the king. And then in verse 11, he didn't just pray about this thing, but he got up. And he went to Jerusalem to take care of the business at hand. And then the Bible says of the people, when he got there, he told them, he said, you do see the distress that we're in. You look around, we're in a mess. And the Bible says that they strengthened their hands for this good work. In verse number 6 of chapter 4, the Bible says, so built we the wall. In verse 21, it says, we labored together. Amen. In chapter 6 and verse 15, that's where we are. So the wall was finished. It didn't get finished by accident. It didn't happen by happenstance. It happened because a godly man stayed focused and godly people stayed focused. So built we the wall for the people had a mind to work. I'm going to ask you today in the face of distractions in the face of opposition in the face of whatever we may be going through collectively or individually the question is this what will we do what will we do amen I want to pull my heart and my mind together and say as for me (laughs) I already know I already know what I'm going to do made up my mind a long time ago Amen. This is the path that I'm walking. Can we magnify the Lord together? Amen. Let's magnify Him together. Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.